I was minding my own business this morning when a hacker came along and stole my data from the unsecured public network. Gee, I wish there was some way to prevent that from happening. All you need is ExpressVPN. A VPN, or virtual private network, encrypts your data so the bad guys can't steal it. Wow! Have you ever heard of dynamic pricing? What's that? Online retailers charge you more based on where you live. With ExpressVPN, you can appear anywhere you want and get the best deal. That's my favorite kind of deal. What else can ExpressVPN do for me? You can get access to streaming content that's normally blocked in your region. Could I even use it to get past restrictions on work or school networks? Yes, all you have to do is use the ExpressVPN app on your device. You can even use it on your router. That's right. Just go to expressvpn.com forward slash capital A capital C capital P for a special offer and get three months free when you sign up for one year of service. What a deal. Thanks, Thanks ExpressVPN. Express That's expressvpn.com forward slash capital ACP. In 1995, excavation began on what would become one of the most significant archaeological discoveries ever. Klaus Schmidt uncovered ancient ruins that predated known civilization. What does this discovery mean for the known history of mankind? Was it built by a lost civilization? Or perhaps hunter-gatherers? Maybe aliens? Let's find out in episode 3. Gobekli Tepe. It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent Anderson and Agent ETA. All right, come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. Follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. But first, it's time for Strange Events, Bizarre Facts, The Unbelievable Revealed. This is the Mind Boggle of the Week. Gigantopithecus. Is Bigfoot real? No one knows for sure, but archaeologists found evidence of a large primate that went extinct a hundred thousand years ago up to 10 feet tall and weighing as much as 1300 pounds gigantopithecus is the largest known primate to ever walk the earth remains have been found in india china and indonesia this massive beast lived alongside homo sapiens for tens of thousands of years what would it be like to stand face to face with one of these creatures would they make good roommates is it possible that their descendant is responsible for Bigfoot sightings? Probably not, but still, it boggles the mind. And now, time for the show. All right. All right. There really isn't a conspiracy here or anything like that. You know, it's more of just a, an amazing find, an amazing archaeological site that pretty much flips what we knew about history or what we accept about human history completely on its, on its uh, rear end. It completely, you know, changes the timelines that we uh, had set up. Uh, we, we thought that human history was only, civilized human history was about 6,000 years old. But now it seems like it's uh, easily, you know, 11,600 around there. At the end of the uh, Younger Dryas era is when this place was supposed to have been filled in all at once. Where is the place? Well, the site's uh, located in southeast Turkey. It's in the Anatolia region. So the site was originally found in the 1960s. 
but the uh, tops of the pillars, the T-shaped pillars that are located there, were the, the only parts that were uh, of the architecture that was sticking out of the ground. So the people that f- originally found it thought that it might have been just tops of grave markers. So they didn't recognize it as architecture as such, and they, you know, for that reason, they they kind of just uh, glanced by it because it wasn't exactly what they thought they were looking for. 1994, Klaus Schmidt actually visited the site, and he knew right away once he was looking at what uh, the tops of these pillars, it, these weren't grave markers, not in his estimation. So he decided to take a chance on it, you know. Let's see, there, there's, a, there's a quote from Klaus Schmidt where he says, within a minute of first seeing it, I knew I had two choices. Go away and tell nobody or spend the rest of my life working here. You know, and I think that's uh, that kind of shows part of his insight. That he, that Klaus Schmidt must have been a very intelligent person you know, because as soon as he saw the site, he knew that there was a great amount of importance there. You know, and I'm sure it probably hit him like a ton of bricks too. Once he realized these aren't grave markers, these are actually this is architecture. You know, yeah, and that's not, and it's not supposed to be here either. You know, that's that was the craziest thing. Well, not the craziest, but that was a weird thing. Is other people, other archaeologists, had seen the site, but none of them recognized it for what it was. But apparently, just the way it was kind of built up, that Schmidt knew right away. It was, it was just kind of strange. Smart guy, I bet. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it, and the, one of the amazing things about the site is is through uh, carbon dating of the film material that's been found there, it, it appears that this is the oldest known site of, of human construction that we've ever found. Hmm. Um, you know, excluding possible sites that have been misdated, of course, because, I mean, there's a whole other conversation there of, that we can start, and that's a whole other podcast, misdated sites and, and the potential of those, you know. This site's, uh, I'm sure there's plenty in, in uh, Europe and Northern Africa in particular and the Middle East that could quite possibly be a dramatic amount older than we think they are, you know, and could also be, I think there's a lot of uh, potential of sites being built upon over and over throughout the millennia, you know. Mm-hmm. Romans in particular were known for being very efficient individuals, especially when it comes to architecture. Um, I think that it's quite possible you have like, you know, places like the Temple of Jupiter that have these foundation bricks that are, are, are foundation structures that are so much larger. The building materials are so much larger than what, you know, you would think they would, they would need to use. I think it's quite likely that they found, you know, ruins that were still intact enough to where they could use the foundations of it or even hmm. some still building materials that may have been, you know, strewn around the site maybe even, you know. But yeah, Gobeki Tepli means uh, the belly hill, it's been known about there. There's a couple different sites. There's a lot of different uh, pot-bellied hills or uh, hills of the navel um, in the area. And there's uh, oh yeah, there there are other sites. Um, I didn't I didn't actually look into those too much because it's just a big rabbit hole. I didn't have time for it all. But the there are other sites similar to Gobekli Tepe that they haven't really uncovered yet, but they're starting to research a little bit. Mm-hmm. From what I read, which. Yeah. Hopefully they uncover something that uh, reveals a little more about, um, like all the artwork and stuff is really intricate mm-hmm. and nobody knows what any of it means. I mean, we'll get into that a little bit later, what some possible interpretations of the artwork there, but mm-hmm. it's all just guessing basically. Yeah. But, yeah. So there's basically the site is of Gobekli Tepe is, um, has over 20 circular formations and each formation is a circle of pillars with two big pillars in the middle. For there's more than 200 pillars altogether. Each formation is about up to 100 feet in diameter, 
and some of them they'll have stone benches on the interior. The entire site is over 22 acres. Not all of it's been excavated. In fact, as from what I could tell, um, less than 5% of the total site has been excavated. But everything else they know about by using ground-penetrating radar and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, only 5% of it has been excavated. But like, they, like you said, they do know about a substantial amount more because of that ground-penetrating radar. This site is, is I mean... Like what you just said, twenty-two acres. That's massive. That's that's yeah. a gigantic site. It dwarfs something like a Stonehenge, and you know that's one of those uh, megalithic sites that most people are going to recognize when you mention it just by name. Stonehenge. You know, they have that that image probably locked in their brains. Most people that have seen it, at least, because we've been exposed to it so many times throughout our childhood and in adult, you know, years. That, that how could you not know that that image? You know, so I think that's a, a very proper megalithic site to compare it to just because it's a well-known. Yeah. And the thing about Stonehenge is that it's so worn away that maybe it had artwork on it at some point, but it's just Mm -hmm. worn off over the years. I don't know. Maybe it didn't, but the artwork at Gobekli Tepe is just, it's really amazing for any time, let alone the time it was built. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, it's also, it, uh, it states a level of sophistication too, because it's not, images that are carved into the pillar it's reliefs carved out of the stone right so it, it, it takes a little bit more mental process to do something like that as opposed to just carving something into a stone yeah it's the the base relief i think is the technical term and so they take material mm-hmm. away so instead of just carving something into the stone they have to take away like 90 percent of the material to get the pictures to come out of the stone and it, it gives it a completely different look and it's like super hard to do and it's it takes super a lot rare. of planning yeah, it, there's really not that many ex- examples of it early on, and definitely not this early on, because mm-hmm. it's so much harder to do than carving into the stone that probably people, even if they thought of doing it, decided it was too much work. Um, the pillars themselves are they're made out of limestone, and they're as big as uh, 16 feet tall and 50 tons, and some of them have caps on top as big as 10 tons. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, the central pillars are T-shaped. Those are the ones that have the, the blocks on top, the 10-ton caps. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing, too, because you have a 10-ton cap. Imagine how, with a T-shaped pillar, imagine how top-heavy that must be. Yeah. You know, and supposedly, I mean, from, from one of the images and some of the articles I've read about this as well, it seems like these T-shaped pillars are, are seated right on top of the bedrock, and they're kind of... Sit, they're seated within these like pedestals that are kind of carved out of the bedrock, but they're not married directly to it. You know, it's, it's not like they're part of the same stone. These T-shaped pillars, they were quarried from a different spot. It wasn't really far away, but I think the, the quarry um, was about 300 or 1,500 feet away from this, the actual site. So it's not like they had a, a gigantic amount of ground to cover when, when moving these, these stones. But still, it's far enough. <laughs> when you're, but what? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. For hunter gatherers too. I mean, uh, it could it be done? Yeah, sure, absolutely. But you have to have no. that free time as well. <laughs> you know, you have to have, uh, you know, stocks of food and and stuff to create free time, right? Well, one of the one of the strangest details to me is that um, they now I had to look this up because I didn't know what it meant. But some of the s- circles had terrazzo floors. And terrazzo is basically like a concrete where they mm-hmm. mix a couple different materials. The most well-known example is like the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You know how it gets, gets a like spotted look? 
Uh-huh. But like that's cavemen didn't mix concrete. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it, it's very strange. This doesn't make any sense to me that cavemen built this thing. Yeah, I know that uh, Schmidt believed that they had used flint tools to cut and carve the massive stones. Uh, it's possible, you know. I'm not going to sit here and claim that I know everything about it. That's for dang sure. But I think that logic needs to be used. And if they're using, I mean, if they're carving reliefs away from these these pillars, I think flint tools is probably a little bit below them. At, at the very least, I think they're capable of of more sophistication than that, you know? Well, what I'd like to see is some, uh, some archeologist grab himself some flint tools and carve a replica. That's maybe five feet tall and just see how mm-hmm. easy it would be to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, it might, it, it might really surprise us how easy it is. Maybe, maybe yeah. we're giving them too much credit. You know, I, I don't that's think the so. Thing. But that's the thing. So, sometimes they do these experiments and you find out, Oh, okay, well this is how they did it. And it's actually not that hard that you think as hard as you think it is. Mm hmm. And also, you never know if we're just going about it the complete wrong way. Are we even asking the right question? You know what I mean? As far as how did they go about doing it? You know, because yeah. the, there's a lot of even simple technologies, I'm sure, that, that hunter-gatherers use or people nowadays even that are surviving surviving in the jungles. that They probably have techniques that we still don't know about that we just don't understand because of either we haven't been exposed to it or maybe there's a, a lack of understanding within, you know, translation of languages and such, you know, all sorts of different reasons why that might happen, I think. Yeah. Sometimes they come up with some really clever ways of doing things that are very simple. You only need very primitive tools. But who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, hope, well, I'm hoping when they dig up some of the other sites, they find some sort of record, something that's been preserved that gives us some clues to you know who built these things. It's so interesting. Oh, yeah. But we know Man, nothing wh- about them. What what would it be like to be able to actually talk to one of these people that, that either built the site or worked the site i mean we, we don't know what exactly that site was it appears it had something to do with religion or religion or shamanic tradition possibly but man what were these people like you know i mean who knows if the whatever language that they they spoke i mean would we even be able to come close to even understanding it and there, there's plenty of ancient uh languages that we we know of we have the text that we're still not able to decipher you know yeah Speaking of, um, this isn't really ancient, but I want to do an episode. Have you heard of the Von Oich manuscript? That thing is weird. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe I'm familiar with that. No. Oh, it's this this book that they found. They think it was written like in 1400 or something, but nobody can translate it. it no, is that the one where he uh, the fellow had like different drawings of uh, flora and animals that like made absolute no sense? Like there there was um, chimeras depicted and yeah, I think so. Different and an, I don't even know the right word. I don't think I'm trying to. I'm not going to try to pronounce that <laughs> word that I was. I was about to try to spit out because I don't think I, I, I can. <laughs> is it, is it gonna, anthropo, anthropomorphic? Anthrop- that's is that what one, you're thinking of? That's the one right there. <laughs> that's the ticket. <laughs> All right. So some people think that actually at Gobekli Tepe that the the central stones are supposed to de- de- depict people because they have uh, like some of them have loincloths and arms carved into them. Some of them are just mm-hmm. blank. Um, so there's different pe- different speculations on that like are they depicting gods or are they depicting great warriors or leaders nobody really knows for sure but they definitely look like they're depicting humanoid figures i agree yeah they have hands clasped in the front is that correct yeah mm-hmm. and then some of them also have um what looks like belts or like loincloths in the front is, is that what it was like in the front of it it has like a, a piece that looks like it's like possibly could have been a loincloth or something yeah belts and loincloths on some of them What's what's interesting also is that the hands are clasped at 
looks a lot like the the Easter Island. Uh, what do you call those statues? They're just they're the things from that you know that video game <laughs> from the eighties. What, yeah, what was that? Life Force, I think it was called. But yeah, those those Easter Island statues are are extremely interesting, man. Because have you ever seen the? Uh, you can go up on like Google Images and look up pictures of um, those statues that have been dug out down to their base and and it appears that like the dirt that's around it is all sedimented layers it's not you know film material or anything it's mm-hmm. all built up over thousands of years and the amount of sedimented layers that has been built up over a lot of these these giant statues are substantial i mean it's you know some of these sedimentary la- sedimentary layers are over six feet deep you know mm-hmm. some of these these pictures that you see on the internet these people are standing in these uh trenches around the statue that they've dug and it's 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 much taller than them, you know. I mean, a lot of them are on a slope, so it could be a little misleading, I think, just because of the angle mm-hmm. of the photo. But still, it's still a good little reference to see how much sedimentary sedimentary dirt has been built up over those things. And I think it's very interesting because I think I do agree with the notion that those statues uh, have bearded men depicted on them. So mm-hmm. it looks like it's quite possible with the the chin features. Those are big protruding chins, and it doesn't make sense that the chins would be that, the jawline would be that large and defined, you know. Mm-hmm. And some of them seem to have features on their, their jawlines that look like it could be depicting a beard. And um, it's interesting because you you also see similar depictions in places like uh, Peru and Brazil and even in the Aztec culture. You know, um, characters like Veracocha or uh, Quetzalcoatl, those guys were both described as bearded individuals that brought civilization back after a great catastrophe, you know? Hmm. One thing that's also depicted in some of those civilizations uh, is what appears to be a handbag. It also looks like there might be one of these handbags on some of the T-shaped pillars in Gobekli Tepe too. It could be just a coincidence. Could be, but it's, they're very similar shapes and and they, they look damn near exact. At some point you get so many coincidences, you have to start wondering yeah. Well, and there's also similar geometric shapes that you find in a lot of megalithic structures. Uh, even like in India, in a lot of these uh, cultures that have been around for, that has survived many, many thousands of years without great interruption, we'll say, you know. Um, you see a lot, a lot of these geometric patterns, even on like uh, designs and houses on their tiles and stuff like that. A lot of these are representing sound frequency and resonance, you know. Uh, what hmm. we would call what we would call the study of, of somatics. I think it's no no coincidence that we're seeing a lot of these uh, patterns that that you could see in the study of somatics. When you have like a medium and you have like say sand on top of it, you have somebody that sings a specific uh, song that has you know certain notes that it hits that it actually makes these recognizable shapes, hmm. um, shapes that we've seen throughout religion, perhaps you know. Well, and also that, you're reminding me of Chichen Itza or whatever. That's, um, is that in Peru? Yeah, that pyramids there basically, and there's um, if you stand in like a specific place between the pyramids, supposedly you if you make a the what was it, like a clapping or something, it sounds like one of their local birds. So oh, really? whoever whoever built it definitely had some knowledge of acoustics, like advanced knowledge. Mm-hmm. I forget the details though. I have to look that one up. Yeah, but at the very least, it's uh, I mean, there's a possible link there between different cultures that are separated in great distances in geography at the very least. But I think there's some, you know, like, like we were talking about before these, these uh, characters in a lot of different religions or cultures, ancient cultures in particular, that these, these figures that 
our civilization bringing deities after a great catastrophe. I don't think mm -hmm. that's a coincidence because there's so many different similar similarities between the events that happen in these stories. Mm -hmm. You know, a great catastrophe, somebody who was made aware of it before it happened, whether that have been through technology or, or, you know, godly intervention, you know, yeah, they were made aware of it. And, you know, we've heard people like, uh, say for instance, Graham Hancock or Randall Carlson, some, some of these, uh, popular figures nowadays that, that talk about ancient human history and, and the possibilities of, of what we might be missing. I agree fully with the notion that, that we are a civilization with uh, amnesia. I think it makes sense because the, the scenario that's been presented many times before is if we were hit by a great uh, catastrophe right now, a meteor impact or something like that, you and I wouldn't survive. We're, too oh, yeah. we're way too reliant on technology and everything as far as skills based out through our civilization, everything's too modular. Nobody has a great wealth of knowledge. At least very few people know how to do everything, especially well, so, when it comes to survival. It's everything we have is so specific. Like, let's give an example. Last week I had to fix, I put in new ignition coils in one of my cars mm -hmm. and the ignition coils, even if you understood the way it worked, way the electronics worked in those coils, you still wouldn't understand how to make the plastic that they're made of Oh, yeah. You know, or, or how to make the car that they go into, or, I mean, the engine, the people who make the engine block and the people who make the ignition coils don't even know what the other person knows. You know what I mean? It's very specific mm -hmm. knowledge. So if, if there was some sort of catastrophe and we lost all of our technology, I mean, you might know how to make that particular plastic, but you wouldn't know how to make the machine that molds it. So even mm -hmm. if you did have some sort of specific knowledge, you would be kind of useless without the other people that you normally would work with to utilize that knowledge. Mm -hmm. I mean, if there was a catastrophe, it would set us back to the stone age, probably more or less. But then again, what is a stone age? When was, is a stone age that we think of as a stone age? Was that actually the stone age or is there a lot that we're missing? You know, cause the sites like Gobekli Tepe, I mean, you have to take the, you have to start asking, asking some questions, you know, were, were we actually hunter gatherers for all this period or, or was there a, segment of the human race that was actually advanced, you know, because it appears there definitely was. Yeah. One of the really interesting things about Gobekli Tepe is that whoever built it or whoever was using the site backfilled it at some point. They buried it. Uh, this is probably the only reason why we have any record of it at all. Um, imagine how worn Stonehenge looks. Well, this is Stonehenge is 6,000 years ago. This is 6,000 years before Stonehenge. So if it hadn't been backfilled, the whole thing would probably just be dust, you mm -hmm. know, or rocks that we wouldn't even really recognize as, as something that once belonged to a monolith. Mm -hmm. Apparently the way they know that it was backfilled because immediately, like I have, I have like this, this inner skeptic and I'm like, oh yeah, well, how do they know it was backfilled, huh? But mm -hmm. it turns out when it's backfilled, the whole thing is covered in, you know, homogenous material, basically. But if it had been buried by the time, then there would be layers of sediment. And it's apparently very obvious to archaeologists. So I can't be skeptical on that one. Yeah. Well, maybe if I was an archaeologist, I'd know exactly what that looks like. I, I've seen I've seen uh, depictions of it on, on pictures and stuff, you know, the, the stereotypical history book type stuff where, you know, it gives you an example of a sedimentary layer. Yeah. It's, but it's pretty amazing though. Cause they started. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, but that the entire hill is a man-made hill. Is that correct? 
Yeah. So what happened uh, from what I could find is that they used one site and then they buried it and then they built another site or circle next to or on top of the old one. And over time, that basically that's what made the hill. The entire hill is man-made, apparently. Mm-hmm. And this is what Klaus Schmidt was able to identify immediately when he saw it. But I mean, mm-hmm. that kind of blew my mind because just look at a hill and be like, oh, that hill is man-made when everybody else who's been there didn't recognize that is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he must, he must have some kind of a skill of reading the geography around him and identifying that as not being in place or not being natural. I wonder how much, uh, so that must have been a, a whole heap of material that was backfilled into that to cover the entire area. Yeah, I have, I actually looked that up and I had to do some calculations because nobody actually said, but I found how much they think it took to backfill like one site and then I mm-hmm. multiplied it over. An estimate I found was that it took 13,000 cubic yards of material to backfill the entire 22 acre site. And just to convert some numbers, that's about 350,000 cubic feet or equivalent to 2,620,000 gallons. I wasn't too familiar with a cubic yard. Uh, That's about a ton or 2,000 pounds for one cubic yard. And then if you have rocky materials, so the fill at Gobekli Tepe was not just straight up dirt. It was kind of like rocky fill. Mm -hmm. That weighs as much as like 1.3 tons per cubic yard. Moving that much material would probably take one adult in really good shape would take one or two days minimum to move that across like a football field or something. Yeah, so yeah. wherever they got that fill from, it's uh, t- so much fill. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Well, in dirt like that, and I, I happen to know from recent experience because of where I live, I'm running electrical out to my garage. I had to dig a 18 inch deep ditch out there, right? Mm-hmm. I know from experience, because there's a lot of those, uh, what we call potatoes out here, those rocks all over the dang dirt. You, you go one inch with your shovel and it stops you dead in your track. Yeah. That stuff is, is not easy to deal with. There's yeah. no doubt about that. It, it's frustrating, you know? And that's I didn't see a whole lot of discussion about the backfilling, but I was really curious about that. Where did they get that material? How did they dig it up? How did they move it? And how did they put it over the pillars without disturbing things too much? Like mm-hmm. that, that is actually an accomplishment to me anyways, just uh-huh. as significant as building the thing in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, and also it, it also, which suggests a level of care that was, was taken with the site too, with covering it up. Cause if it was covered in, filled in by, let's say like a, a flood or a landslide or something crazy like that, right. It, it would probably destroy pretty much everything there, especially right. the pillars. Those pillars for, for certain wouldn't be standing up anymore, you know, and some yeah. of them. Most of them, from what I understand, were found pretty much standing up, being held up by the dirt and fill material around them, but still standing up. Yeah. From what we understand, humans have had their current form, physical form, for about 200,000 years, maybe even more. Throughout that whole time, you'd think that we, if we are as capable right now as we are, if we had the same exact form, especially if our minds are capable of the same functions, you'd think that it's quite possible we could have gone through different incarnations potentially that we've reached heights before in society and we've had to start again because of a catastrophe or maybe even a catastrophe that was caused by us ourselves. Yeah. I always, I heard that number or I read that number somewhere and I thought, what were we doing for 195,000 years? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, like we just kind of just putzing around. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense that 
civilization just spontaneously sprung up out of nowhere a few thousand years ago. And then before then, people who were apparently the exact same as us were doing pretty much nothing. I don't know. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we, we've the human race has definitely been able to move leaps and bounds uh, ahead in technological advancement. I mean, the Industrial Revolution is a perfect example of that. How many years did it take us to advance from horse and buggy cars to, you know, airplanes? That was within within about fifty year a fifty year period, right? Yeah, that's but, pretty yeah. Dang, that's pretty damn amazing. Who's to say that hasn't happened before and just the evidence has been ground up into a fine pulp by the millennia, you know? That's the thing. Like, if you look at the our modern history of, we have pretty solid knowledge. Let's just say, roughly speaking, going back 4,000 years. So if you had a 4,000-year period, and then you had some sort of catastrophe, and then it might take 50,000 years for every single last trace of that to be wiped off the face of the planet, we could have a civilization like today that could have come and gone several times already in the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, there probably would be some sort of trace. Like, I don't think they had space shuttles and stuff necessarily, but it's hard for me to believe that there were was not a lost civilization earlier than we think there was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we should probably talk more about some other milestones in human history that we do know about to give this a little bit more perspective and give people a good idea of exactly how old this is because we could say you know the site is you know theorized to be 12,000 years old or 11,600 years old depending on who you're talking to but I mean what does that exactly mean as far as actual events in history that people are very familiar with and you know how does that line up as far as the age or whatever the distance from us to certain events or the distance from us in time from here to Gobekli Tepe you know Right, and this when I started looking some of this stuff up, it was kind of strange because on one hand, they say that Gobekli Tepe was unequivocally built by spear chuckers. But then I started finding some interesting things like apparently art and religion and language started forty to 70,000 years ago as far as archaeologists can tell. Mm-hmm. Which, okay, so they had religion and art and language 70,000 years ago. And again, they just sort of you know, just kind of killed some rabbits and stuff. They didn't really do anything with it. It's just hard to believe that they didn't yeah. develop anything more sophisticated in that time. Of, of course, all they ever did with it was just use it to, you know, make paintings on caves and stuff, right? Yeah, paint little stick figures on caves. Yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> that's They painted stick figures for about 190,000 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then somebody had this great idea. Oh, maybe if we like... Hey guys, I think it's about time to start this civilization I've been hearing about there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think I'm tired of this whole this whole hunter gatherer phase. One of the things I read is they they date that using genetics and stuff with crops and with animals that were bred specifically. But mm-hmm. you know, my thinking is, how do they know that wild animals were not kept, sort of like we keep farm animals, and they just didn't breed them until later into our because I don't know the specifics of it too much, but apparently, like you know, the pigs we use and all this other stuff those are not exactly the same as what the wild animals were. Yeah. So, you know, the wild animals had to be, had to be bred and domesticated, but how do we know they were just, you know, they were just domesticating wild animals. They had a bunch of gazelles in a pen somewhere and they, you know, they just fed them and then slaughtered mm-hmm. them. But I mean, that could have been going on for a really long time. We just don't know about it. That's one of the, one of the major topics of discussion for this is how, would they have built something like this without 
a more advanced social structure. So Mm -hmm. somebody had to feed all these people. Somebody had to motivate them. Hunter gatherers, from what I understand, spent most of their time hunting and gathering. They didn't have any extra time for building stuff or for religion or all that other stuff. They were just trying not to starve to death, basically. Mm -hmm. So who could organize what would take hundreds and hundreds of people who would organize all these people? I mean, that's, that's a social structure. It's Mm -hmm. not just like, you know, a chief who's in charge. Somebody had to be like the architect. Somebody had to come up with the designs. Somebody had to translate these designs to the workers. You know, they had to organize getting the stuff from the quarry to the site. I mean, all this stuff is, you know, when you stop and think about it, is actually fairly complicated. Hunters and gatherers just didn't have that sort of thing going on for them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that kind of annoys me sometimes, I guess I shouldn't let it get to me, but some of the assumptions that are made by by mainstream archaeology or mainstream academia in, in general, I guess, you know, they, they assume that the, the earliest site, when they find one of these sites, of course, they say this is well. This is where everything everything started. You know, mm-hmm. this is where everything was developed because this, this is the earliest example. So this is must have been where it was all made up. You know, right? I, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, at least. And of course, I'm not an archaeologist. I didn't go for, to college for that kind of stuff. So maybe there's stuff that they know a perspective, perhaps that, that I'm not privy to. You know, that's I'm certainly willing to accept that. But you know. Um, you look at the human race right now. Are we all one type of settled people? You know, yeah. Are we are we all the same sophistication? No. There's first world countries. There's second, third. You know, there's hunter gatherers that still live in, in some of these jungles and forests around the world. There's no reason to think it should be any different at any other point in time, right. unless unless perhaps we at one point in time reached a, a sophistication level where the whole world was connected as one group of people. I guess you know. But you know, yeah. Why yeah. why wouldn't there why wouldn't there be different levels of sophisticated peoples throughout the the earth? You know, at I any think, given point. I think the main reason for that is that um, a lot of these archaeologists, well, pretty much all of them, they exist in like academia, mm-hmm. and I think that they might speculate on these things. You know, when they're when they're standing around the water cooler, if you know if, if that's what they do. But mm-hmm. I don't think they can publish like research papers saying that there was an ancient civilization without actually having evidence of that civilization because it could cost them their careers, I suspect. I don't know if that's true. If there's any archaeologists out there and you can comment on why we don't have more speculations, but I think that they only want to say stuff about, you know, like they found some pottery shards and that's what they want to talk about. They don't want to speculate about who made the pottery shards unless they can find out a specific document or another artifact that will give them information about that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and I agree fully that you need to be careful about what you accept as fact. And there needs to be substantial proof, especially if it's something as significant as a site like, like this, you know, if, right. if it takes human civilization from what we accept to be a 6,000 year old period to 11,000 or 12,000 years, and maybe even farther than that, because, just because of the implications that, that may arise from this site. Yeah. I, I have, I have no problem with people scrutinizing that information and making sure it's solid. That's what we should do, you know, but I, I think yeah. there is also a fair amount of, a fair amount of, uh, let's say a historian perspective, perhaps where, uh-huh. um, these archeologists, you know, 
they in their mind that they know these facts and how dare you say that I'm wrong. Right. And, and I, I I, I guess I I could understand that, especially if somebody's, you know, stake their, their career on, on a specific find or a, a perspective, you know, on human civilization that they think that they've proven. And it turns out, well, no, you're completely wrong. You know? Right. Yeah. They're not going to feel happy about that. And I don't necessarily blame them, but I think sometimes you just need to swallow your pride for the greater, cause you know yeah one thing that i wanted to talk about is a little bit about um the younger dryas there's there's really interesting theories about what caused and stopped this it's it's a strange period because geologically speaking it was so it started there was an ice age and the ice age was warming up and then suddenly about 12,000 13,000 years ago just all of a sudden it happened you know in the blink of an eye it got really cold again Mm-hmm. for about a thousand years or 1200 years and then it warmed up again but both events getting colder again and getting warmer again happened in such a short period that they're not even really sure um they like i, I was reading uh one article about it that said it could have happened overnight for all they know that's how you know but they estimate it happened in about 10 years which for geological times yeah. it's described as a, a mini ice age isn't it yeah but it was it was as cold and as intense as uh, some of the most coldest uh, parts of the last ice age that, that lasted much much longer, right? Right. And one of the interesting things too is that there's really no scientific consensus for what caused it to start and stop. Usually mm-hmm. for these things, there's some sort of really good evidence, and they're pretty sure what what caused whatever. But for this one, there's a couple of competing theories. Some people think that it could have been a comet explosion in the atmosphere that started it. And, mm-hmm. you know, if it if it burned a lot of forests and there was a lot of debris in the atmosphere, that would have blocked the sun and made everything cold. And that could have started it. Or a comet impacting somewhere in the ocean, spitting up a bunch of magma, and there would have been hot rain all over the planet or whatever. That could have heated things up again. With that, I didn't want to go too much into detail with those theories, but... For each each one of these theories, there's somebody else, like an actual scientist. These are all scientific stuff. There's another mm-hmm. scientist who says, yeah, that's okay, but it doesn't really make sense because of you know X, Y, and Z. And then they point yeah. out good counter-arguments to that stuff. Um, one of the interesting finds was that there's two craters or two possible craters under Greenland that could explain this, mm-hmm. but they're hard to examine because they're under a quite a lot of ice a ton of ice yeah yeah so they can't really get down there and you know look at the rocks and find the meteorites or whatever they are yeah but um, correct me if i'm wrong but through geological surveys they've they found the depressions or what they believe is the depressions of those impacts correct right but there are some scientists who dispute that those are impact craters you know uh-huh. some people say well those aren't actually impact craters it's you know this that or the other mm-hmm. um, but then the other scientists will come back and say they are impact craters, but the the glacier has been grinding away at it, and that's why it doesn't look normal. Yeah, so naturally it would look different than, than it yeah. originally did. Yeah, but a lot of what I read on that, to be honest, was a little bit above my head. So I, you know, yeah, I can't say entirely. <laughs> yeah, some of that stuff I've read some about the so supposedly I guess there's there's evidence that they found in some of the segmented layers of, of uh, when this occurred. Um, I guess they're called proxy impact 
points. They, they found they find stuff like uh, nano diamonds and yeah. certain certain spherical molecules. I guess that are, are only able to be created under certain circumstances. You know, very high right. pressure, high temperature uh, situations. Those are you know telltale markers, I guess, of, of comet impacts or at least a, a significant event, nonetheless. Yeah. But even, I mean, even that, I was reading about that kind of stuff and I found some other articles that were saying, oh, this, this person from this university or whoever, I figured all the details, like they tested for that stuff and they found problems with the original testing. And they said that, you know, they didn't find as much as was reported or the dating on the ice cores was incorrect. And just, so, I mean, I didn't want to spend, get too bogged down in, in researching the younger Dryas because Mm -hmm. it's sort of off the point but yeah. everything everything i found about the younger dryas there was some sort of controversy like there was no consensus for any of this stuff which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting if you think about it that they still haven't really figured it out to where everybody agrees what the causes were so that i, I kind of like that it's sort of a mystery mm-hmm. well as part i think it's uh, some of it at least is part of a healthy process of making sure the inf- information is fact or at least we can look at it as much a fact as we can with right. confidence, you know? Yeah, for sure. One of one of the wildest theories, at least to me, is this guy named uh, Robert Schock, I think his name is, S-C-H-O-C-H. Mm-hmm. Um, and this sounds like kind of an out there theory to me, but this guy apparently has a PhD from Yale, so he's he's not a dummy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably. They're um, just handing those things out. Yeah. So he thinks that there was... A massive solar activity that ended the younger Dryas, a coronal mass ejection. And the way he describes it is that this would have been such a massive event. Um, it wouldn't be like a normal solar flare that we have. It would have been like a solar flare that reached out and got the planet, basically, and enveloped the whole planet. And it would have oh. caused like plasma events. And the way he said it was, it would have been like, like instead of rain, it would have been lightning. It would have been a raining lightning to such an extent that it would have killed pretty much everything on the surface of the planet mm-hmm. um, with the exception of things that were hiding in caves or something like that. So uh-huh. animals, people, whatever, it just would have wiped out everything. Man, I, I just uh, it, use your imagination. What the heck would that have been like? It's like, how the hell does anything survive something like that? If, if that's a reality, you know? I know, it's it's pretty wild. <laughs> I mean, it it boggles the mind, right? Even just yeah. to try to think of the totality of what that could even be, you know. But and, I, and I'm sure our, our our imaginations probably can't even begin to do it justice, you know. Right. It's it's really interesting though because this theory it does have some actual. I don't know if I can. I don't want to say proof or anything, but there is some stuff backing it up. Mm-hmm. So, for example, it would match very well how quickly the younger Dryas ended. Like it's, it would be a perfect match for the end of this period. It would be a perfect match for Gobekli Tepe because it would explain where whoever built this thing, where they went, because it looks like when they look at it, like the newer structures in Gobekli Tepe don't look as sophisticated as the older structures. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like somebody found the older ones and then tried to build something like it, but couldn't do it as good. Mm -hmm. So it could explain things like that too. And isn't, I think I remember uh, some time ago you mentioning that there's pictographs found worldwide that may actually like uh, be referencing these these coronal mass ejections. 
Yeah, and so I actually I remember reading about this or hearing about this somewhere, and I thought it was complete BS. But then um, I went to Shock's website and I was reading stuff on there, and he's got side by side comparisons of petroglyphs and certain types of plasma from you know the petroglyphs from around the world and certain types of plasma that you might find, mm-hmm. and they look pretty much exactly the same. It's it's actually shocking. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> There's there's certain petroglyphs like birdmen and you know circles and rings things like that uh-huh. that uh, look so much like the plasma events that I just couldn't believe it. Uh, at first, when I read about it, it sounded like it was complete nonsense. Humanoid uh-huh. figures from lightning strikes like that's BS. Well, that doesn't make any sense. No, it yeah, looks it sounds exactly like it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's especially something that odd too. I mean. It, it kind of makes the the chance of a coincidence being less likely just because of how unique the event itself is, you know? Right. And you have figures around the world with, uh, you know, humanoids with bird heads. And you have some of these o- objects or petroglyphs are similar between civilizations that should not have had any contact with each other, you mm-hmm. know, on different sides of the planet kind of a thing. So it's a really kind of interesting theory. There's not really any proof there but it does sort of back up that this plasma event might have happened i mean it's it's much more simpler to think of like a meteor impact i guess you know we could i guess relate to that easier yeah it's a little harder to wrap your head around a plasma event that nobody in recorded history has witnessed you know it's so rare that we could only speculate that it might happen that yeah i think it's easier to wrap your head around stuff that we have recorded histories of or something like an impact where you can go to the impact crater and, you know, go for a swim or something. It's a lot more obvious. You know, like a lot of these sites that we find, find around the world too. It's interesting how much like erosion on, are on some of them. It, it was a Robert shock. And the reason why I'm saying this is because you were talking about Robert shock. Was he, was he one of the uh, people, I think I heard him on, on uh, I think it was a Joe Rogan podcast or something talking about um, the erosion of like the Sphinx enclosure and, and how it's precipitous erosion and not like not flood erosion. Yeah, that's that's where I first heard of this guy was on the the JRE is is a really good episode. Um if you haven't heard it, go check it out. Mm-hmm. He started with his uh his I don't know, offbeat theories with the Sphinx, I think. And yeah, it's supposed to be he thinks it's dated around the time of Gobekli Tepe. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because nobody back then should have been able to build a Sphinx either. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. about as ridiculous as them building Gobekli Tepe. You know, yeah. they're they're both neither one should be built by hunter gatherer societies. Yeah. Well, but the Sphinx itself doesn't make any sense because when it was supposed to have been built, there's evidence of restoration bricks from that very time period on the Sphinx, you know, still today. So like I know I've heard a couple people state this exact question. Why would they need to restore a structure that should have been brand new or at least relatively new? That's a really interesting one. I didn't know about that. So so what you're saying is it could be much, much older than even Gobekli Tepe. In the front, in between the, the Sphinx paws, there's supposed to be a plaque. I guess I guess it's not all there anymore. Some of it has, has deteriorated since uh, the plaque was found. But, you know, the reason why the, the construction of the Sphinx was um, attributed to uh, the Pharaoh Khufu was because there was one single syllable um, coup was it coup? Yeah. I think, yeah, right. And it, but it didn't have. But it, from what I understand, and maybe I'm uh, remembering it, remembering this incorrectly. But from what I understand, there wasn't a cartouche around that, so it shouldn't have 
any like royal significance as far as it, it shouldn't have been something that was stated by a pharaoh or it shouldn't have been referencing a pharaoh specifically. Wasn't there something similar for the Great Pyramids too? Like they say it was built by Khufu, but they all they found was basically some graffiti that didn't really match up. Well, it, but that graffiti is very interesting though because it appears that, that that graffiti or maybe it was a marking of some sort. It appears to be some kind of a red paint. I, I've seen a picture of it before. Um, it looks like a, a kind of cartouche, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. And part of it goes like under, like in between two blocks. Mm-hmm. So it, it looks like that was painted before that block was laid in place. Mm-hmm. I mean, it appears, but it also oh. supposedly the story of the archaeologist, the, the archaeologist that found it. I guess there was some shenanigans that had happened. Um, people that went up there before didn't see it, and he went up there by himself, and somehow he found it. It was there after he was there, but it wasn't supposedly before. Really? Um, I don't know if that's just bull crap. It's just made up or not, but I remember that specific uh, scenario being stated when when I I learned about that story. Interesting. I don't think I've heard that one before. Yeah, um, that's possible. I could have made that up on the spot too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why not? What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) But there's, so there's a lot of these, civilizations that we know of have myths of like massive flooding. So for example, the myth of Atlantis has this massive flooding, but they also have similar stories of an ancient civilization that was more advanced being wiped out. Egyptians, for example, have something that they call Zeptepi, which Mm -hmm. is the first time. And it's like a golden age of civilization. The Mm -hmm. myth doesn't really have any dates or anything, but it's very similar to the Atlantis myth, myth, which Plato did give some dating to that is similar to, or it's in the ballpark of when Gobekli Tepe was around. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that they can line them up exactly, but it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. And supposedly, from what I understand too, Plato's knowledge was supposed to have uh, came from the Library of Alexandria. So his knowledge dated supposedly from the Egyptians. Interesting. I didn't hear that. Supposedly from what I remember, Plato, um, his stories of Atlantis was passed on from, um, was it Solon or Sauron? Damn, I always get confused because of freaking the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I was, um, go- I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I, and every time, every time inevitably that I, I uh, try to remember which one of those names it is, I always, I'm sure I, I'll say the wrong one, but... It's one. It's one. He, he was a philosopher as well, and, and he was related to Plato. I, I believe he was his grandfather. I, I think, or great great grandfather, something like that. It'd probably something that would be important to look up <laughs> for <laughs> factual accuracy. Um, ah, who but, needs um, factual accuracy? Yeah, it's a bunch of shenanigans. If you ask me, fake news, right? But yeah, I, I think it's amazing that that um, that information supposedly came from the Library of Alexandria. I just imagine what ah, what information did we lose, man? When when, when that library was destroyed yeah you know what really bugs me too is how you have all these people um in the middle east today like these terrorists who want to destroy these ancient sites that Mm. i mean a lot of them are like muslim sites but you know i'm not muslim but it's still it's just really sad that these really buildings thousands of years well i don't know about thousands but really old however old they are and they're just getting trashed it's just really sad well and the significance of a lot of these sites too um it's human history. It's not just the history because it's so important to human, uh, the way we have developed in, 
influencing how how shit where we are today i'm sure has uh, as who knows how much influence you know the substantial you know it's it's human history it's you got to respect that i mean that to me that's a whole nother level of of uh, importance where it's it doesn't matter about your country because you're i mean that that realm that area of the world has been has had people on it for mm-hmm. as long as there's been people presumably right yeah so I mean, it's not always been the same ideal system that's been there, but there's always been, you know, great people in that region. Powerful civilization is very important, and you know, one of the things I think that um, I'm not sure if we touched on this or not, but when Gobeki Tepe was filled in, or when it was built, because we don't know when it was built, but uh-huh. that area, that area was very, very different than the area that we know now. You know, there's a lot of desert region. You know, there's not a lot of agriculture and stuff there. Um, because of temperatures and because of how dry it can be, uh, yeah. Obviously, it's not all it's not all desert, but it's not known for um, its agriculture. You know, right? I was gonna say, uh, supposedly back then it was a much more lush environment, much more temperate temperatures. At any rate, it was a, a much more hospitable climate. Yeah, it, some people think that um, it might be the origin of the Garden of Eden story. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, it could have been. Just to end up our talk about the younger Dryas, it kind of ties in to all these flood stories because whatever ended it would have melted all these glaciers covering a lot of North America and caused these massive floods. So it's interesting because a lot of cultures talk about these floods and Mm -hmm. the end of the younger Dryas could be that event. And there seems to be some evidence that there was an advanced civilization that built Gobekli Tepe and possibly some other things around the world so these stories might be referring to an actual real civilization that got wiped out and not just not just being a story. Uh, there is a, a sort of a precedent for this is the city of Troy, which they thought the city of Troy was just a story until they actually found mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. then they're, oh, well, this is actually real. So it, just because it's a myth doesn't mean that it, it wasn't based on anything that actually yeah. happened. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't uh, the stories of Plato used to find the city of Troy? I don't remember the story. I read about it briefly, but I'm not 100% sure about that. You probably know more about it than I do. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't remember the specifics off the top of my head, but I remember, I remember uh, I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, and I know I've been saying that a lot, so I hope that doesn't take away from any credibility or lack thereof. <laughs> it's cool. Nobody thinks we're credible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm giving myself too much credit there, huh? Um <laughs> So, so the archaeologists that, that found the city of Troy, from what I understand, basically took uh, what Plato said and, and decided to follow it as fact. I guess that's what led him directly to the, the site of Troy. There's, I found a really cool quote by, well, I, I think it's cool. Probably nobody else does. But I found this quote from Robert Schock that I think pretty much expresses his opinion. And it sounded nice, so I thought I'd just read it. Uh, he says, In my assessment, there is now overwhelming evidence that sophisticated culture, civilization, existed prior to the end of the last Ice Age, and this is what gave rise to the story of Atlantis and similar legends, thus confirming Plato and other ancient traditions. However, Mm -hmm. this early cycle of civilization was dealt a mighty setback. It was utterly devastated, with only a few isolated remnants surviving, by the natural cataclysms that brought the last Ice Age to a close, circa 9700 BCE. So that's pretty much in a nutshell his his whole thing. 
he has a lot of really cool articles on his website and he has some books and stuff out there too. So it's, I think it's definitely worth checking his stuff out. Um, at least check out his website because it's not, it's not the most mainstream of, of theories, but yeah, this guy's, he's not a dummy either. (laughs) He's very detail oriented. That that guy is a intelligent individual and he does his due diligence also, as far as his research, there's no doubt about that. And you can tell by just the level of, um, explanation he's able to give, you know? Yeah. I mean, all these T-shaped pillars is a bunch of uh, carvings and symbols, and there's a lot of people that theorize what what do some of these things mean, you know, and then there's a lot of different stuff that's on there. They have all sorts of different animals being depicted. You got vultures, they got scorpions, they got, you know, humanoid figures. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, well, I read that the creatures depicted, like they have scorpions and vultures and stuff like that. It's unusual for the what you might expect for something like this. I don't know. I'm not an archaeologist, but from what I read, most of the time they don't have these sorts of animals on there. Yeah, and, and yeah, they're very, some of those uh, depictions are very unique. You know, one of, one of them is a humanoid. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it the humans being held by like a vulture? Is that right? Well, so it's a picture of like a vulture and there he had the vulture has his wings outstretched and it mm-hmm. has an orb or a circle over the wing and that is a lot of people interpret that to be the head of there's a figure beneath the bird that's looks like a decapitated humanoid or like a humanoid without a head. Mm-hmm. But for me it's hard to make that interpretation because First of all, the vulture looks sort of humanoid, almost like a guy wearing a costume, which is uh, another theory that I read. But the mm. the humanoid figure at the bottom is like really small compared to the vulture. And you'd think if, if it was some sort of human sacrifice or if that was his head, he, I, fi- I think he would be a little more prominently figured, he or she or whatever it is. Yeah. But it's sort of, he's almost like, he's at the very bottom and he's, out of the way, almost like he's not even important. So it it might be mm-hmm. his head, it might not be his head. It it's hard for me to say one way or the other. Yeah, well, because that that uh that shape that the vulture is holding that that could possibly be the head is is worn away quite a bit, right? That's one of the reasons why it's hard to tell exactly what it could be. I don't know. I didn't I didn't see anything about how how worn it was, but from what I could tell and what I read, it's just a circle. It doesn't have really any extra stuff on it side like mm-hmm. a face or eyeballs or anything and it's not skull shaped or anything either or head shaped it's just a circle yeah so in it, particular yeah so it could be literally anything <laughs> yeah yeah is that that's the one that's on a uh, pillar 43 yeah they call it pillar 43 for anybody who wants to google it um, yeah you can look at those pictures it's, there's they're readily available they're pretty yeah. easy to find yeah just well this is if you google gobekli tepe this is usually the first pillar that comes up the pictures come up right away for this one Mm-hmm. And is that is that the same one that has like the belt on it with the loincloth and it, it's uh, the pillar itself is uh, supposedly depicting like a humanoid form? I don't remember if this one had a belt or not. That's because not all of them have the belt mm-hmm. or the arms, yeah, some, and some of them are even blank, right? Yeah, some of them are just blank. But one one theory is that this is evidence of a skull cult or a death cult because some people found uh, fragments of skulls that looked like they were the, the meat had been taken off of the skull and the skulls had been painted and carved and even a hole drilled through one of them. So maybe it was like hung up as a decoration. Mm-hmm. 
But the problem I found with that particular theory is that these skulls are dated like 3,000 years later or something. So if it was a skull cult, they would have been doing this the whole time, right? It wouldn't have just been three skulls. So they found hundreds of skull fragments, human skull fragments, but mm. only three of the skulls had any sort of carving. So it's it's interesting, it's possible, but it's not really conclusive. So it's yeah. hard to say that that's what's depicted on that pillar. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to to find out exactly what, what the truth of that matter is. Yeah, and I know there's, there's a lot of people that think that these animals could be you know, a representation of um, you know different constellations in the sky that these people might have been depicting. Right, and I think that's probably the most plausible explanation for these carvings, or at least a lot of them, because a lot of the carvings are, like let's say the scorpion could be Scorpio, and they may not have called it that, but a lot of cultures around the world identified that that uh, constellation with a scorpion. Mm -hmm. So there's even, you know, cultures that didn't know each other. A lot of them identified Orion as a hunter, for example. So there's evidence that that might be, I mean, it's not, it's not like hard evidence, but there is, uh, it is really plausible to me anyways, that these could be constellations. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's been plenty of cultures that we can reference that uses uh, animals, well, animals and humanoid Figures, even uh, chimera. Is chimera the term where it's like half half animal, half human? Yeah, I think so. At least on FMA, it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shout out to FMA. But yeah, I mean, that, that's there's, there's a long tradition of of animals and, and um, human figures being used as as representation of constellations. To, you know, connecting the stars to form shapes and figures. And why why should it be any different here? Yeah, and one interesting theory I read about that was that so the vulture was seen sort of as like a grim reaper or a creature that carried the soul off because, mm -hmm. you know, it ate dead flesh. Like it would get some dead flesh in its mouth and then fly away. So some mm -hmm. cultures apparently saw the vulture as taking the person's soul into the heavens. So they might've mm -hmm. done as part of part of a funeral. They might've actually just put the body out and let the vultures get it and fly away with pieces of the, the person. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm trying not to be too gross here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, Apparently, also, the circle was often used to represent a soul in certain other cultures. So, mm -hmm. there's one theory that the guy, the, or the guy, the vulture is somebody dressed as a vulture, and the circle is representing a soul. And what the depiction of, on Pillar 43 is, is sort of uh, like a funeral where the person's soul is being carried off. But, mm -hmm. again, it's all just completely speculative. There's really no way to prove any of this. There's no evidence at all. It's just somebody yeah. looks at the pictures and says, well, it could be this or it could be that, but we don't know for sure. Well, it's got to be something. Yeah, it could be. Well, who knows? I mean, it's really interesting. What it would be like to talk to some of these people? You'll have a time machine and go back. Oh, see, it's people like you are going to screw up the timeline, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. I know, right? It's curiosity didn't just kill a cat, killed the whole human race. I heard a, an interesting theory once that somebody said, um, we know that people will never invent time machines because if they do, we would have already met them. They would have come back and we would have met them. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Which is an interesting theory. So the pillars themselves, there's really good evidence that they were oriented towards a constellation. And so the, the whole thing was basically uh, a primitive observatory. So, and the, the evidence for this is when the, they built new pillars, but the, the central pillars, or that when they built new circles, the central 
pillars pointed in slightly different directions. Uh, so this could mm-hmm. match along with, you know, the procession. So the earth has a wobble and the constellations are not always in the same place. It changes over time. So one idea is that Orion uh, was the constellation they were looking at here. But when you, you there's actually software now that is really cool. You can put in a date, you know, 150,000 years ago, and it'll show you what the night sky would have looked like back then, where Orion would have been and where everything would have been. Where the constellations are oriented. Like if you were, I think I, think I know which one you're talking about. I think I've seen a, a video of that. Yeah. You can pick like a, a place on Earth and basically figure out, like, you know, turn the, the, the time uh, table back there, turn the clock back, as I guess, as it was. Right. And then, uh, figure so it, out exactly what it looked like. It's relatively right. easy to research this kind of stuff nowadays. From what I found, when you compare the dating of the sites with where Orion would have been when they were built, it doesn't really line up with Orion. But uh, Deneb, which is a star in the Cygnus constellation, does line up. It's not 100% because the carbon dating, from what I understand, is not 100%. But it's the closest match that I could find. Yeah, and the, the idea is that when... When this say when Deneb changed location enough in the sky, they had to build a new a new monument so that they could have mm-hmm. it centered on Deneb again, and then they filled in the old one, and that would explain you know why they would f- build why the, they would spend so much energy building something like this, and then just, just fill it in. Adjust for a procession. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was yeah. looking for the the procession of the stars. I think it's called. It, it makes some sense too, because say for instance, if you were trying to communicate a level of knowledge or understanding throughout the millennia or, or to people far in the future. And that's, you know, you could say one form of a time machine in itself, right? Right. Yeah. But, um, I mean, architecture would be one of the best ways to, to do it. Stone architecture. Right. Well, cause I mean, it, yeah, you could encode information like sort of, I mean, like when we sent out one of the Voyager crafts, we sent this information and a lot of the information was just pictures. Like we sent mm-hmm. a, a picture, which was, how to find earth using um, neutron stars that were pointed towards us, uh, pulsars. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it didn't say that it was just a picture, but that information was encoded in that picture. And we just assumed that somebody who, who was intelligent to find it would know what it meant, but maybe they don't. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe it's the same thing here where they encoded information in there, but we just haven't figured out what that information is yet. One of the most controversial things about Gobekli Tepe is that it really challenges what we thought the timeline of mankind was, because there supposedly were hunters and gatherers, but the hunters and gatherers could not have built this thing. So that that's basically what the contention is on this site and why it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not really a conspiracy or anything, but it just changes everything we know about human history, which makes it kind of a weird and strange topic for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely turns back the dial on on what we accepted. That's for sure. Agriculture, architecture, a lot of these type of things, even even organized religion. I mean, it, the logic would uh, suggest that the hunter gatherers just wouldn't have enough free time. You know, you had to have stockpiles of uh, supplies to have that much free time to create architecture like that. Yeah, even to study the stars. You know. Yeah. I think that that who knows how long the 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 limit of the age of Gobekli Tepe could be astronomical. It could be massive. You know who knows? Because we just have a good beat on when it was supposedly filled in. 
Right. Well, that and they found tools at the site and some other stuff, but they can't actually carbon date the stone. So, yeah. you know, who for all we know, it could have been built 50,000 years ago and then somebody else just found it and used the site. So mm-hmm. it, anything's possible. There's really no way to know for sure. But we know for sure when people were there, but that doesn't tell us when it was built. It was definitely built before that. <laughs> but how long yeah, ago, if, we don't really know. If only we could carbon date stone or had some kind of method to, to date stone when it was quarried or what have you. Uh, the answer that, the answers that that would provide for us in megalithic structure study would be amazing. The story that we would be able to uncover about the human race. Yeah, that would be awesome. I was actually, when I was researching this, I was thinking compared to like, let's say astronomy or other sciences, archaeology still seems somewhat crude. Like I was reading about how they find exoplanets. They found Mm -hmm. a lot of them using the Doppler shift. So basically the gravity of the planet alters the light of the star it's circling. Just Mm -hmm. so wrap your head around that. The planet let's say something the size of earth compared to the size of the sun, a hundred light years away, it causes such a subtle shift in the light that it's almost imperceivable, but somehow astronomers still use this to detect planets. It's just, it kind of blows my mind, but Mm -hmm. astronomers, they still have to use a shovel to dig stuff up. And if they, if they find the subtle hint of something, it's just dust. It doesn't mean anything to them. So they're uh-huh. they're not able to detect these really subtle things like they can in other sciences yet, but hopefully that'll change. Yeah. I don't know how it would possibly change, but <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of solid studying that's a lot of uh, solid work that's being done in archaeology, but it is a study that's based highly on opinion and uh, it leans on other sciences. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. There's, like I said, there's a lot of good work that's being done, but I think there's a, a lot of assumptions that are made based on other false assumptions, I guess you'd say, right? I mean, like, for instance, whenever somebody finds a site like Gobekli, Gobekli Tepe, uh, um, they always assume it was hunter-gatherers. You know, they never want to credit any kind of high society, any kind of sophisticated people because, you know, that can't be possible, right? Because we're the, we're the end-all, be-all. We are the the highest level of sophistication of the human human race, right? Right. Well, and it's not only that. Kind of what I was getting at, too, is that no matter how good the circumstantial evidence is, like Gobekli Tepe, I mean, come on. <laughs> That's really good mm. evidence right there. But until they find, like, explicit evidence of an ancient civilization, it's not even on the radar. You know what I mean? Which mm. seems kind of strange that it's not even really being discussed that much. Um, at least as far as mm-hmm. I could find in, in academia, it's more on like guys like Graham Hancock who makes good points, but let's face it, he's kind of on the fringe of things. And I don't think he's really taken seriously by, you know, most archeologists. Probably. I mean, but he's more and more, he's being taken serious by, well, certainly by the, your, your everyday person, your average individual that is trying to absorb this kind of knowledge. Cause most people aren't going to be going to college for this type of stuff. They, they right. might be reading books. They might be reading books, but most likely they're going to be watching a podcast or lecture or something like that, you know? And, um, that's the type of individual Graham Hancock that is all over that type of media. So, you know, there's, there's plenty of people that are being influenced with that. And I think it's doing a great amount of good because it's opening up people's, you know, perceptions, just what they're, um, willing to accept in general, you know, because most people, there's plenty of people out there that are just going to, 
not want to listen to anything that's, you know, what they might call woo-woo, to use a word that Graham Hancock uses, you know, if I can. Yeah. If they think it's uh, something that is just implausible, they're they're closed-minded to it. They're not going to even want to listen to anything they have to say. But little by little, people are opening up, you know, especially because, you know, Internet, there's no doubt about that. There's a lot of misinformation out there, but there's a whole heap of beautiful information, too, that, that – grants people great amount great amounts of perspective yeah you know? for sure it's hard to read some of these discussions though some of them are really good some of them as soon as anybody says anything there's just all these people these nasty people just pile in and you can't have a discussion man it's get the trolls out of there it's yeah. just so what if <laughs> if something's a little out there it's i think it's worth discussing even if it doesn't necessarily hold up to scientific you know what i mean like you got to get the ideas yeah, get the yeah. ideas churning I, I think there's a place I, there's a place for trolling though i, th- I think uh, there's a place for there's no doubt about the, the there's a, an abundance of tox toxic uh, attitudes and comments and there's a lot of unnecessary things being said there's no doubt about that but i do enjoy the uh the witty troll though that is poking fun at something that is obviously ridiculous whatever it may be yeah, you know? no, I'm talking more about the the kind of troll that's, you know, say you're talking about Gobekli Tepe and then somebody says something on the site and then basically somebody comes and says, no, that didn't happen. You know, those pillars aren't there. You're like, no, they're there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, like they're, they're not witty trolls. They're just trying to wreck the conversation. And there's just so much of that. Yeah. Like, dude, go, go start your own forum thread. Quit messing up other yeah. people's. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's a lot of that in, in realms like Egyptology. Yeah. You know, it's, there's a lot of uh, people that poo-poo on anything new or anything <laughs> that, that that flies in the face of what's accepted. And that, that's one of the things I think that frustrates me about some of these sites, especially like famous ones like Egypt, is, is you know, like Giza, the plateau, all those structures on there. Uh, there there's supposedly tunnels. There's supposed um, ground-penetrating radar that has been used to find, you know, cavities that are shaped like, you know, a square or rectangle that... that, that there's no doubt it had to have been made like by by hands by man hands mm-hmm. you know by by humans. <laughs> yeah, and then they won't let um, them dig it up. They say, "Nope, <laughs> you're not." Yeah, well, but you're not I, looking in there. I, I remember hearing. I think it was Robert Shock. Uh-huh. I I think it was him talking about it on a podcast um, where they they believe they they witnessed uh, them drilling down into a, a chamber that was found under the uh, one of the paws of the Sphinx. Hmm. I don't remember which paw it was, but. Um, they, they claim that they were draining water or, or something like that. Yeah, I wish I, uh, remember which, uh, claim they, they, they brought up to cover up what they were doing, but it seems like they're, they're doing, they're, they're looking for something. Yeah. And and who knows what the heck is down in there, you know? But I mean, why, why wouldn't you want to cu- uncover as much as, as you could and learn everything you can about what's there? Cause there's some amazing stuff. And I think another frustrating part about, all those structures there is like, in my opinion, I consider that world history, human history. It's right. not just the history of that country, you know, or even the people that are currently there. That's that's human history because it's so it's so old and it's so substantial, you know. Yeah, for sure. So there's um, there's one theory I read about this archaeologist named Ted Banning uh, from the University of Toronto suggests that there is evidence of daily habitation and suggests that many people were housed at the site and that instead of a temple, maybe it was a communal home. So a lot of the people who Hmm. argue that it was a temple say that because wild animals, a a lot of the bones, they found just thousands of bones of wild animals there at the site. 
that yeah. if it had been domesticated animals, then people would have lived there. But because it was wild animals, then people must have traveled there. But um, he says that that's not necessarily the case. And I found this really interesting quote by him. What he says was, uh, I'm going to mess this up probably, but here it goes. The presupposition that art or even monumental art should be exclusively associated with specialized shrines or other non-domestic spaces also fails to withstand scrutiny. There is abundant ethnographic evidence for considerable investment in the decoration of domestic structures and spaces, whether to commemorate the feats of ancestors, advertise the lineage's history, or a chief's generosity, or record initiations and other house-based rituals. So he's basically what he's saying is that, hey, just because there's art there doesn't mean that it was for religious purposes. In fact, mm -hmm. we know of, you know, countless types of art for, you know, pretty much every period in history that we have good records for. There's a ton of art that's not for anything religious at all, just to decorate your house, basically. So he's yeah. suggesting... Well, I have some in my house right now. Yeah. So he's suggesting that this is just, you know, house decorations for communal living, which I thought was a mm. really interesting theory. But again, like everything else, it's pretty much pure it'd speculation. Some, it'd be some pretty odd decorations, man, but to each their own, right? You never know. Well, just think about it. Like we have a picture of, uh, what is it? Van Gogh's Starry Night. I think we have a reprint of that on our wall. It, uh -huh. I mean, if you didn't know anything about Western culture and you saw that, you might think it was kind of weird, you know? So it, I think everything needs to yeah. be in context to be understood. One last theory uh, that I've read about, or I saw this on Ancient Aliens. They had Gobekli Tepe and they try to tie it into the aliens. So uh, aliens, no. <laughs> I didn't see yeah. even a single hint of a shred of information suggesting the aliens were at all involved. I mean, I wish I could say that aliens helped us build this, but... It's, It'd be it's, quite a stretch, I think. Yeah, it just seems like complete fiction to me. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, you know, the the farthest stretch I think I might be able to make with, with something like that could possibly be maybe there's some knowledge that was passed on to people in this area and, and they were taught how to do some architecture. You know, maybe they were hunter-gatherers, but they were provided with a level of knowledge that brought them out of that stage, perhaps. But even so, I think it's more likely that would be from, like, an advanced civilization of people. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. That, that's just me saying that. Right. I mean, there's absolutely nothing. I, I'm just, you know, talking out my rear. Yeah, that, there's absolutely nothing I'm going off of. You know, I'm just theorizing. Yeah. Just a big what if. All right. So do you, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Do you have any final thoughts on Gobekli Tepe? Well, I think for, for anybody who's interested in this realm of information, the big what if, you know, how old is human civilization? What evidence is there out there? Because there's, there's a lot of people that may say, hey, you know, there's nothing out there really. Because I've talked to plenty of people. I, I, I enjoy asking people about these type of sites just to get a kind of a consensus of the people around me of what they know, mm -hmm. you know, cause it's not your average person isn't always going to be this interested in architect. I mean, archeology, span mm -hmm. you know, um, the, most people that I asked about have never heard of this site. Mm -hmm. So there's no doubt that they, they don't know the implications of, of what it, what it means for accepted human history and the timeline in particular, yeah. you know? So when I do, uh, at times do an okay enough job of describing this site to them, and when they do understand what I'm talking about, man, that you see their eyes light up, and, and once those gears start turning, they don't stop, you know. Well, so yeah. I think this is a, a one of the perfect sites to kind of indoctrinate somebody on this type of uh, experience, this type of rabbit hole, if you were, you know, because mm. it's a very inspiring site, and, and the implications and in, of, of what all this might mean, and 
the imagination when you run wild with uh, how old could this really be? And, and man, it, I think it's uh, something that could get a lot of people interested in, in archaeology and, and the possibility of ancient human history. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's such an interesting site. I wasn't expecting to read so much on it. I thought, oh, just a couple of rocks. I'll read about it, you know, mm-hmm. write out a couple of notes, whatever. But no, I fell into the rabbit hole for, you know, several days, <laughs> yeah, as, yeah. as you've seen from my many pages of notes. And it's just such mm-hmm. a fascinating site. And, and so for me, I mean, what are the chances that we just so happen to find the oldest thing ever built by man? Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I tend to think of things. I, I think there's a technical term for this. I forget what it is. But basically everything is average, you know, on average. So if, you know, if you go to the fair and you're playing pool games or throwing darts or whatever it is, you're going to be about average. There's going to be people better than you at the fair, people worse than you. And it's kind of like that, no matter what you do. So if you find an ancient ruins, chances are that there's stuff that was built that's newer and stuff that was built that was older. Um, I think there's a very good chance that this is not the oldest thing ever built and we just haven't found it yet. So that's one of the most interesting things to me as well. Uh, I keep well, the oldest being the oldest thing that was built. It's probably ain't there anymore. It's probably been ground up into a pulp. You know? Right. Exactly. And the only reason we have this is because it was backfilled. So who yeah, knows? Absolutely. But maybe there's something, you know, like the, what was it? Um, Pompeii or whatever, where the volcano covered everything in ash and preserved it. I mean, there mm-hmm. could be something like that that we haven't found yet. It is really interesting to me. Yeah, we just haven't looked there yet because we haven't thought to. Right, exactly. So I, I don't know. I really like this. I really like this site. Uh, let's end the episode with a quote by Ian Hodder, the director of Stanford's archaeology program. Many people think that it changes everything. It overturns the whole apple cart. All of our theories were wrong. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you could really help us out by checking out the affiliate link in the description. This week, we're taking a look at something called a rattleback. Have you heard of this, Agent Ether? I've seen a video. It's really cool. It's like this little stick, and you put it on a flat surface, let's say a desk, and you can spin it in either direction, right? Clockwise or counterclockwise. One of the directions, if you spin it, it'll stop all by itself and then go in the opposite direction. It's so weird looking. It's really cool. It's like you're winding up a spring or something. Yeah, it's exactly what it looks like. It's so bizarre. So I'll link to a a couple different types. They have some made out of plastic, glass, metal, and depending on what kind of material you're looking for, there's probably an option available for you. So check it out. Links in the description. It helps us out and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Keep it strange.